This is Financially Fit with Coach Hill, the podcast where you learn to train your money like a pro athlete trains for success. I'm Coach Hill, personal finance expert and money coach to the NFL. I took everything I've learned from the last 10 years of coaching pro athletes and founded Financial Footwork to help you become more financially fit, find your success with money, and live the lifestyle you want with the money you've got. In 2018, I was working with the Miami Dolphins, and my good friend Caleb Thornhill introduced me to this incredible human being. He is the U.S. Director of Sports and Entertainment for the for Compass Realty. He's an educator, a speaker, an author, a mentor, an entrepreneur, and a top 1% real estate agent in the U.S. That is a list of credentials. Allow me to introduce my friend, Ben Moss. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Coach Hill. That's, that's humbling. Yeah. It sounds like I've done a lot, but sometimes I don't. I feel like I'm not doing enough, right? So that's uh, that's a good reminder. So thank you. <laughs> I'm. I have to say, your list of credentials is pretty amazing, and I didn't even add in that we've done mastermind sessions and wealth building events and educational yes. seminars. So that list continues to grow. And you started another company. In the process, yeah, yeah, starting another. As you you and I have talked about a lot before, just the rabbit holes that being curious people. Uh, hopefully all of us are curious in this world and uh, some of us are more curious than others, but I know you and I vibe on that level. And so uh, you and I have talked about some things and one of those curiosities for me and life hacks has been, you know, personal development, but also the, this, the, the broad sphere of mindfulness, if you will. And so that's a whole other rabbit hole of a lot of different topics that it involves from habit formation to, you know, morning routines to all, all sorts of things. But yeah, my wife and I are both very into that. And so we're starting something up for really for realtors at this point. And, and she also has a contingent for moms and she's doing some things with, with moms, young moms more than anything and doing some things in the school system with kids. And, but it's all around mindfulness and understanding our emotional feelings and how we can, how we can deal with those in real time. And avoid burnout, which is a big piece of the real estate component, which we will talk a little bit more about. But let's let's flip it back to real estate. You are one of the top realtors in the country, and you have been for a little while now, you and your team at Compass Sports and Entertainment. Um, and you now head up the whole division, all of the states across the US, you manage all of the realtors that are under that sports and entertainment umbrella. But that doesn't happen overnight. Um, how, how'd you get into real estate? Let's start there. And then what was the progression to where you are today? Yeah, real estate for me was uh, really by mistake. My the the I guess the original story is my dad saw one of these ads, three day investment seminars. You know, you pay fifteen hundred bucks to go to it, and he said, "Hey, I'll I'll uh, I'll sponsor you if you want to go." And so I was like, "Sure, I'm, I'm going to go." And and I'd expressed some interest in real estate, but I said, "Yeah, I'm going to go." And then I went out and started knocking on doors and flipped the house. Um, by mistake, left $100,000 on the table that the next guy made uh, at the closing. At the same closing that I was at, I walked away with a check for $7,000. He walked away for the guy that I flipped it to, walked away with a check for $100,000 because he then flipped it to somebody else who was also at the closing. You know, back in the day that we all went to closings and um, I haven't been to a closing in a while now. But but yeah, so I was like, wow, okay, so I made, I just left $100,000 on the table, but it was $7,000 was a lot more than I was making at the University of Miami Library at the time where I was working, <laughs> you know, making 13 bucks an hour. So, so that's how, how it started. And then I, you know, then I bought a 12 unit apartment building in college also, and, um, you know, renovated the whole property, the plumbing, it was a 1920s building, had all sorts of issues. Um, but, you know, I was friends with, with football players at the University of Miami. We were good at, good at football at those days, right? Or leading up to a national championship. I graduated in 2000 and we were really good in 2001. And so, you know, we were pouring out first round draft picks. A lot of those guys I was friendly with or friends with. And one thing led to another, and I saw an opportunity to really help educate athletes, not really hang out with them because I did some of that, but 
It was more, okay, they're looking to me for help. What can I do? And then our mutual, very good mutual friend, Caleb, met him when he was a young guy here coming down to Miami to be the director of player engagement for the Dolphins and really started an opportunity there to go in and educate the Dolphins uh, rookies, at, you know, real estate 101. Okay, what's a credit score? Why does that matter? How does that impact you? How does a loan amortize? You know, who pays your lease? Who pays the commission on a, on a rental, on a lease? What areas should you look in? I mean, just real estate, very basic 101 kind of stuff. But that's really how it started and how the sports entertainment side of it started for me as well. That's wonderful. And we, and we do work with a lot of athletes and entertainers, especially in the South Florida market where you're located. Um, and we hear a lot of things. We see a lot of things. There's a lot of stories in the marketplace and we work with a lot of players, um, both in the NFL, NBA, NHL, all over, you know, run the gamut of pro sports. But in real estate, there are a lot of misconceptions about what athletes and entertainers are willing to buy. And one of the things I hear as a financial educator all the time is, well, it doesn't matter. They have unlimited funds. They can afford whatever they want. And that is absolutely not the reality of it. Athletes and entertainers are just like us, just like you and me. They have a budget. They have a limit. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions with that. We be, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to go into experience stories or anything. But with that being said, is that something that you encounter a lot as well? As you're working in this space, you are in one of the most luxurious markets in the country and also one of the biggest booming markets in the country still. What are some of the things that you're seeing in that marketplace and some of the misconceptions that come along with doing real estate in the sports and entertainment space? Yeah, there's lots unpacked there. I mean, I think the first thing at a base level is every young athlete should look to purchase their first property. That's where they. That's where the investing starts. Don't you know? Buy that investment property first. No, buy your first property. You can turn that into an investment property, but you can get the right leverage on it. You can learn how to maintain it. You can understand how to pay a mortgage. You know all the things that you teach. And I think that's where it starts. They, they shouldn't necessarily do that year one or maybe even year two of their contract. But as they're still young-ish and start making money, I think they should convert that into some of some portion of that into real estate. Especially now, as we've seen, you know, banks are just hedge funds, right? So. They're making bets with your money and you may or may not get it back unless the government steps in. So it's interesting times for people to see that. And I think because of that, people are really, even since this whole banking crisis has started, people are really looking at, well, real estate is really a store of value. It's scarce. Uh, there's the tax, the tax advantages are setting up uh, a real estate portfolio are so advantageous, as you know. So, but to get back to your question, I think there's a lot of misconceptions around athletes because yes, they don't make as much money as, as relative to the average person. Yes. But there's a lot of less that they take home after taxes and agents and handlers and business managers. So I think that's one thing. The other thing is that it's not all sexy. Uh, there's a lot of work that goes into it. You know, I'm dealing with a rental right now for a young female rapper and she's involved, her assistant's involved, her business manager, there's two other people that are involved. So there's six people that we have to deal with and they're not always communicating with one another. And, um, you know, so the amount of time that we have put into a lease is much more than we would put into for a regular person that is their own decision maker, can go out, can go see the properties. Um, there's not layers of communication that are being miscommunicated. You know, things are being miscommunicated. And so we went very far down the road on one deal only to find out that for one reason or the other, this was not gonna be the right deal. And now we have to kind of pivot and start into something else. So, you know, we understand that, my team and I, and so we, we know it's not always sexy. In fact, I always joke for every, you know, $1 million plus sale, there's 10 rentals that we have to do. And the rentals take up a lot of time and, and we're certainly not making a lot of money on these rentals. So we really do it for the service, for the relationships. And yes, it does pay off. There are some big ticket items and there are some sexy parts of it, but a lot of it behind the scenes is actually a lot more work than people would ever realize. 
I think that is a common misconception with really anything that when you make it to the top 1% of anything, the amount of work that we put in is not on our social media highlight reel. We, we will spend hours and hours and hours working on something. And it's not just a week at a time. It's years at a time to establish a baseline and, and being the expert in what we do. And what makes what you do so wonderful is that you also mentor the people that work for you and the team that you've built along with educating athletes, entertainers, and they average Joe, anyone can call Compass Realty and get a mortgage, anyone, it, it, get a, a real estate um, advisor to come in and assist them. And I think that that's a piece that a lot of consumers in America are missing. They think that real estate agents cost too much money, that they are not accessible to them. And I've been hearing that a lot recently. Oh, I can't afford a realtor. Yes, you absolutely, you, you can't afford to not have a realtor, in my opinion. You need the person who can help you write the contract, negotiate the deal, make sure that when that inspection report comes in, you know how to read it. And it doesn't matter if it's a $200,000 house or a $20 million house. The paperwork, the legal agreement is the same. Yeah, I think there's there's good service providers and there's ones that are not so good. And I think you're right. The ones, what you will pay, if, if you want to look at it that way, if the seller's paying the commission and you as the buyer are paying the seller a certain purchase price and they're, the seller is deducting or, or making room for that commission to come out from this, from their net. Okay, fine. You might be paying the realtor, but a good realtor based on the guidance and the negotiation is going to more than offset. And I really believe this, their cost in the deal. But that being said, I think there, there's probably room for people that don't, that understand what they're doing, that are very savvy. Uh, maybe they don't need a realtor. And I agree with that. And, and there's a room, there's room for the discount brokers also, so I think there's room for the very high touch, high level, high advisory type realtors, and especially the ones who are you know, working with sensitive transactions, working with athletes, celebrities, uh, disclosures, or many, many pitfalls. And uh, yes. the average person doesn't really understand how at risk they can be if they don't have somebody that's good that's working with them. That's a great point. Um, with the real estate market being where it is right now, we've seen interest rates rising just astronomically quickly over the last 12 months. It's It's unprecedented. What are three pieces of information or tools that you could give a potential buyer or seller about the real estate market, whether it's interest rates, purchase prices? I always get asked the question, is the market going to fail? <laughs> I'm getting that a lot over the last six months. I'm sure you're hearing it too. Are prices going to drop? What are some key takeaways that you're providing to your clients that everyone can really benefit from right now in real estate? Well, part of it's just a self-reflection and, you know, looking back over the last 10 years of my investment journey, my real estate journey, if I was to do it all over again, I would invest more, less as a limited partner in, in different deals that I don't control, that I don't have any ability to put debt on the deals or do anything with. I would buy more small multifamily or single family residential properties. Uh, we know there's demand for that. We know there's a scarcity of that in this country. Mm -hmm. And, uh, among all asset classes, they've been very good performers as well, you know, historically. And so I think the number one thing is, is to, you know, just buy one property a year. I think that that would be a great target that many people can achieve if they set their mind to it, but it doesn't have to be a, a million dollar property. It could be $150,000 property with some, with responsible debt on it. Right. But, but there should be some ability for people that are making money to have good income to probably allocate more than they have been into real estate. So that'd be one thing. And I would say, you know, target one property a year as a, as a purchase, right? I think that's achievable. I think number two would be uh, to look at within the real estate side to really look at cost segregation and accelerated depreciation as a retirement vehicle. So meaning, you know, okay, if you're, if you're making X amount of dollars 
does it make sense to get creative with your 401ks and, and retirement strategies? Maybe for some people, but for me, I feel more comfortable taking that tax savings, investing that money that I'm saving with some debt, with some leverage into a property, accelerating the depreciation on that property in that tax year, and then doing the same thing year after year after year. So it kind of dovetails into, into point number one, but as a retirement strategy in 20 years, I would rather own, let's say 20 properties that I've acquired over the, over the next 20 years. Yes, maybe I have depreciated those properties and I can't take that uh, into consideration at that point in time, but I still own the properties. Some tenant is paying down my mortgage, right? And um, I'd rather own 20 properties that are cash flowing and in good state of repair that I own that I can then refi if I want to, or 1031 if I want to, both tax-free strategies, pull yep. cash out. And I would rather have that over a basket of Microsoft stock or Google or Apple or any number of other equities. So that's just me as a real estate person. I think the number three thing is really just understand leverage. And this is really your 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 arena, Hill, Coach Hill, is just understand <laughs> leverage and where people go wrong, especially during times of distress, is over leveraging. But leverage, if, if used correctly, can really be such a great tool to seek and, and achieve financial freedom. And there's probably no better asset than starting off with, that's why I said in the beginning, you know, just for the young athlete, the young investor, the young business person, buy that first property, just buy that first property and start that process because you have a long time, you have a long runway, you have many years to acquire. It may not be a property a year, but maybe that's the goal. But I think start there and start and understand really the leverage, understand how a mortgage amortizes, you know, basic things that people don't even, we don't learn this in school. So nobody's teaching us this stuff, but it's not that complicated. And and early on in the journey of real estate, everybody should understand real estate finance. Yes. I like that you said leverage because people hear that word and uh, the Dave Ramseys of the world have made credit the enemy. And not to say Dave's program's not great. He does some really wonderful things for a lot of people. But this day and age in 2023, when everything costs as much as it does, if you can't leverage a good credit score to get the things you want, you're spending more money than you would if you leverage good credit. And what a lot of young people are starting to do is realize they can take a credit card and use that to pay all their bills for a year, paying it off every month in full, not paying a penny of interest and using the points to go on a vacation, to buy all their Christmas gifts. And there's some there's some give and take on that. Well, leverage on a real estate transaction, a lot of people don't realize there are tax incentives through leveraging a mortgage. You get the interest deduction on your taxes. And if you're somebody who is just starting out, that interest deduction could change your tax bracket and your overall taxable income. That changes your tax strategy. So leverage being done correctly is how the wealthy stay wealthy. And that's the piece where as I talk about it more and I get more people involved in understanding credit to hear a real estate professional say you can do it the right way. Don't over leverage. Don't use a 29% credit card, interest credit card. That's not that's not what we're talking about. But leveraging with a little skin in the game to go one house a year, one house a year, one house a year is a huge way for people to build wealth. And now we're seeing a shift. And this is something we've talked about. We both love homesteading, sustainability, getting a piece of land and farming it. We talked about scarcity. Um, People are buying land left and right because there is a limited supply. We can't manufacture it. We can't get more of it. We have a limited supply. And now we're seeing that single family homeowner homesteading. They're buying a land, they're creating a farm, um, and they're living off the land. And we moved away from this in the 20s, 30s, and 40s with the world wars and everything else. And it's funny that we're seeing it come back around. People are not sure where their food's coming from. And if they have 
you can have a 10,000 acre or excuse me, 10,000 acre, 10,000 square foot I'm lot. Here. Yeah, I, was, I like it too. Um, but you can take a 10,000 square foot lot and you can put a raised bed garden on that and you can grow enough food for a family of four on a small lot. And people don't realize that. And this is something we've been talking about. And you have some things going on in this uh, this arena of homesteading. What have you been up to in the Upper East uh, regarding homesteading? Well, I, I like to learn from you because you you are a master gardener, and I'm uh, I'm an aspiring cattle rancher. But I think where I've where I've ended up, even since last time we spoke about it, is you know I started being curious where where's my food coming from? You mentioned it. You know where's this meat coming from? And really going down a little bit of a rabbit hole about sustainable, uh, you know, let's say feedlot, industrialized, uh, whether it's agriculture or, or animal raise, raising of animals versus a more regenerative approach, which is actually a carbon sink and, and actually is good for the environment. And there's so many misconceptions, you know, I've heard this one so many times, there shouldn't be a cattle left on the planet. Cattle, you know, cows are bad for the environment. Uh, no, they're not, but they are, they are, if they're being first of all, inhumanely treated in a feedlot, right? And so, but they're not, if they're grazing and they're moving around and you're not tilling the soil and you're building, you're building healthy soil. And so that soil then provides a lot more nutrients in the grassland and the forage and the pasture that the cows are eating or the sheep or, you know, whatever the ruminants are. So anyway, yeah, where, where I'd like to go is I'm, I'm looking, I'm reading, I'm reading a lot. I'm educating myself. I'm listening to podcasts and uh, reading all sorts of books about uh, cattle ranching and grazing and soil regeneration. My wife and I are going to a, a outside of Austin next week, actually a pretty cool regenerative uh, farming and ranching um, force for life is the, is the, the ranching group out there in Texas conference. So we're excited about that. So just going, going into that rabbit hole. And the next thing is I am going to buy a hundred, 200 acres, whatever I can figure out uh, once I'm educated enough, maybe by the next year and um, yeah, start, start ranching. And that's part of the game. And that's part of the real estate story is to, it's to create a place where I'd love to have a retreat center there eventually have some cabins and, and do something with a piece of land that is where people want to come for many reasons. Maybe there's a retreat center, there are trails, uh, there, there are, um, you know, there's a farm I've stayed on farms with my family and I, it's been a, it's been a game changer. I mean, understanding the way of life kind of going, like you said, going back to the basics, going back to slowing things down. I mean, I'm all about being efficient when it comes to, work and uh, you know efficiency in terms of getting my workload done but some things are not meant to be efficient and actually i heard this from the guy that runs white oak pastures i can't remember his name right now but he talked about resiliency and efficiency and and when you're making the land really efficient by creating all these high yielding crops you're actually depleting the soil and depleting your health and so you're not making either one resilient and so Anyway, maybe I'll stop there, but that's, that's no, I love it. One, one crop planting is not the way to go because it doesn't give the soil the nutrients that it needs to continue to thrive. We've lost, I, I think the last stat I read, don't quote me on this, but it's, I think it's pretty accurate was that we've lost 70% of the topsoil in the United States over the course of the last 50 years, which topsoil is the nutrients that your plants need to grow. And most of my listeners do not know this, but I am actually a master gardener. I have, I've, grown up gardening and farming. I grew up on a 10,000 acre tree nursery. That's what my family did. So, um, I, you know, that's what I'm used to. And so getting down to the root of real estate and what it can actually do for you, your property can be multi-purpose. And I, and I love that you're saying, I want to do a homestead. So when I lived on Oahu a long time ago, 2015, 2016, 
um, my significant other and I at the time would go to a homestead. There's a homestead on Oahu every weekend and they had everything there. They did farm to table. They had chickens, cows, horses, bunnies. Yes, they slaughter bunnies there. Um, that's a thing because rabbit meat is very popular on the island. And um, we would go and learn. And so I learned so much between 2015 and 2017 about how you can use aquaponics and hydroponics and, and you can do different types of things with your property and you don't need a ton of space. And I'm starting to see that really revive itself all across the United States. I have players that call me and ask how to plant tomatoes. <laughs> so I'm starting to see it. I had one guy say, I got a tomato bush hill. I got this. And so we were <laughs> don't overwater it. Don't over fertilize it kind of teaching. Right. But again, not something we learn in school. And so we're right. starting to see a resurgence of and it's, it's almost full circle. When I was down in South Florida with you, I was like, oh my gosh, this is me. It's real estate, it's farming the land, and it's mindfulness because you get all three things from one lot. You yeah. have your home, you have your ability to connect with your space. It's very, very calming to just put your hands in the earth and actually work with it. Or and walk then foot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When I get off planes, I have to center myself because you know how much I travel. I literally have to get in the time zone. And I'm pretty sure that I saw Zach Efron do this on his little Netflix thing. One of his buddies was like, take off your shoes and go get in the grass. Literally works. If I'm going from Portland to South Florida or Boise where I live to Texas, I have to like sit myself down for a few minutes when I get into that time zone or I can't adjust. It's, it's difficult. Um, now I'm not flying to Europe, but I'm in so many time zones in so many it's so quickly that I have to make those adjustments. Um, but I think what you said is is very, it's pure gold for people that are not really familiar with real estate. And that is you can take your first home and you can turn it into an investment property. You can leverage it for tax benefits and you can also make it a multi-use property. You can get berries and go sell them at a farmer's market, right? I mean, something as simple as do you want to yeah. make a couple extra bucks a week? Um, and those are things that a lot of us don't think about. So I'm glad we got to talk about that. I want to wrap up today with your number one piece of financial advice, whether it is real estate or something you and your wife do for your family that improves your financial picture. I think the number one thing that, I, and I wish I'd done this earlier, is just having rules around investing. What are you going to invest in? Be very clear with the end game in mind. Okay, how am I going to get to this, this place? What is Maybe it's a number for some people, Maybe it's a lifestyle for some people. Maybe it's a state of mind for other people. Maybe it's a combination of all those things. But, uh, but I think you know, thinking through what that really is, and it can change over time. And you know, our goal, the goalposts move. But what are you doing to get there? And you know, you know, you're very much into planning, and I've seen some of your workbooks, and and this stuff is so important, and yet people don't do it. I didn't do it. And I just started investing it, like making more money. Okay, I'm going to, oh yeah, I got a buddy starting a business. Cool. Gunslinger, you know, just put some money over here, put some money over there. And there wasn't really a strategy other than just investing. But investing is not investing if you're speculating. You really don't have time to learn about, am I really understanding that business that I'm investing in, that I'm putting money into, that I'm speculating into? Because I didn't really understand it. You know, I've been, I've been as far as cryptocurrency, right? I've really learned a lot about Bitcoin in particular, but I haven't learned nearly as much about some other tokens, but I still bought other tokens. And looking back, I wish I just put all that money into Bitcoin because I really, the more that I learn that protocol and, and look at all the use cases for it. And when I look around and see what's happening in the financial landscape, I believe more in Bitcoin. I also believe more in real estate. So I guess long story would be just to you know focus on setting up rules of investing. And I would say really only invest in stuff that you really know and understand and have an interest in because then you'll keep learning more about it. 
And we just, yeah. I think many of us try to do too much and we just give money to a financial advisor and let them do something and we don't take accountability for where the money's going. So whether we have a financial advisor, whether we don't, I think it's still incumbent upon us to set up the rules for how we invest because ultimately we have to take accountability for our money and, and what we're doing with it. I think that's so well said, having the rules and then continuing to learn because that's one of the things that has made you such a fantastic leader in the Compass sports and entertainment world, but also switching gears to what you're working on now in terms of mindfulness and impact and community impact, those go hand in hand. Whether you think real estate and mindfulness go hand in hand, they they do. I can say that with complete affinity. They absolutely do. I love it. It makes me really happy. Uh, but I like that you said set the rules because once you know what the rules are, you know what your boundaries are, you mitigate that risk. And that's a fantastic financial practice for anyone at any age. Doesn't matter what your age yeah. is. So yeah. Ben, thank you for gracing us with what I think. I, I mean, if I could sit and ask you about the market for two hours, we would absolutely do that. Uh, but giving everybody a slice of what you do, go follow Ben on Instagram. I'm going to link all of his stuff so you can see what he's doing and how he is out there in the community working. And then as he starts working on his mindfulness business, you can follow that as well. And thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Hillary. It's always awesome to see you, see that smile and hear your voice and spend time with you connecting. So I love it. Thanks so much. Thanks, Ben. See you soon. If you're ready to jumpstart your financial fitness training, go grab my 12-week program and get started today. Training your money like the pro athletes we work with every single day. See you next time.